Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Friday the 28th of August. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, I've got a fantastic interview with two young entrepreneurs who went straight into the world of running their own business and creating their own business immediately after leaving university and a fascinating business it is too. Very much a uh, an online publishing business for the 21st century, focusing on events and things to do currently in London. And it's the, the story of the young entrepreneurs behind Spoonfed. So more on uh, that later, but also later at the end of the show, of course, we have a usual classic piece of electronica. And I mention it up front because in this episode of the podcast, I have a piece by techno legend Todd Terry. So for all you electronica fans, stay tuned to the end. For all of those who hate it, (laughs) you know when to pause the, the play button on your iPod. But first, I'm really, really happy to announce a new sponsor for Small Biz Pod and uh, basically uh, any self-respecting podcaster's dream sponsor, and that is audible.co.uk, who are the UK's largest provider of downloadable audiobooks. And, you know, you you guys out there are listening to Small Biz Pod, enjoying audio, um, and it just makes so much sense for uh, us, uh, Small Biz Pod and Audible, to be working together. And as an additional kind of bonus to this whole thing, Audible are offering Small Biz Pod listeners a free copy of any of their 30,000 titles. Uh, and uh, to claim that book, all you've got to do is head to smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of the Audible banners. And you can choose from any of the books there. There's a whole range, a massive range of uh, business-oriented books. That, uh, And quite frankly, I'm, I'm addicted to audiobooks. And really, Audible is the only place to go to get the kind of quality audiobooks that you know that I like to listen to. And I'm sure you will do too. So why not give the free trial a go? Head over to smallbizpod.co.uk or go straight to smallbizpod, no, straight to audible.co.uk, A-U-D-I-B-L-E.co.uk forward slash smallbizpod to claim your free audiobook. And one that I've listened to quite recently uh, was Duncan Bannatyne's uh, autobiography, you know, the Dragon's Den guy. And that in itself is a fascinating book and makes you realise two things, how simple business can be in many respects but a very inspiring story of how Duncan basically started his whole business empire from running ice cream vans in Glasgow so that is an amazing book to listen to and you can listen to it free just head over to small biz pod click on one of the audible banners there or go to small audible.co.uk forward slash small biz pod so I'd encourage you all to do that now if you get a chance on Twitter too, just to say thanks to audible.co.uk for sponsoring Small Biz Pod, that would be very cool. Uh, so yeah, show your appreciation and support and uh, head on over there. I'm sure you will enjoy them and I'm sure once you get into audiobooks, if you're into this podcast, uh, you, like me, will become somewhat addicted to them. So there we are. Okay, all that said, let's go straight into the interview with the guys from Spoonfed. Well, web publishing is obviously a subject close to my heart, as is the uh, web entrepreneurial scene in London and the 
array of dynamic young entrepreneurs who are creating new ways of doing things on the web um, and challenging large incumbents. So I'm very lucky to have on the podcast today two young entrepreneurs who are the founders of an events, London events and reviews site. And they are uh, Alex Will and Henry Erskine Crum. Alex and Henry, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Hi, Small Biz Pod. Hi there. Now, uh, Alex, I'll let you kick off. Um, you, both of you, started Spoonfed, this business of yours, online, immediately you left uh, university. That's right, isn't it? Um, that's absolutely right. Henry and I, um, we met at, as two students at the London School of Economics. And um, kind of the way it started was, as two young guys in London, we really wanted to explore London as much as possible, given how much free time you tend to have at university. Yeah. And uh, quickly found that we were trying to answer a problem uh, of we couldn't really easily find out what's on. So that kind of question started the journey of Spoonfed and um, we were we were away at the races and we, we took a year off university to kind of get it started and then went full time the day after graduating. Which is kind of unusual. I can't, I don't know, there's probably not that many graduates who move straight from university into an entrepreneurial career. Did you ever think that you might want to go and get some business experience first? Well, I mean, when, when we graduated, we very much so felt that uh, we, we had already kind of conceived the, uh, the idea of Spoonfed and, and the technologies that we'd need to build behind it. And when we, um, when we graduated, we very much so took the circumstance, well, you know, now's a better time as uh, any to be an entrepreneur. We haven't really tasted the fruits yet of uh, a full disposable income. Yeah. So um, why not just carry on living the student lifestyle, but really just try and uh, build a business, and 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 that's how it really started. Yeah, no, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, but you say that uh, Spoonfed was very much kind of uh, born out of your own personal need, a kind of gap that you thought that you could fill, that you needed filling, um, uh, and you devised the business around that. Um, but for those who haven't uh, visited Spoonfed, I mean, how is it really that different to what uh, you know a big magazine and their online site like Time Out is already doing? Um, I, I guess that the first thing is just to go back to your initial question of the problem at hand. What we found is you tended to start your journey at Google. You type in what you're looking for, be it jazz or Soho events, and you'd get search engine optimized results from Google, which wouldn't often have good events in them. Um, but to kind of go, and so one of the things we're trying to address is provide a platform where you can come on, set your preferences, say where you'd like to go out, what things you enjoy doing, be it at work or in and around your office area or in and around your home, and immediately get spoon-fed a guide for entertainment in London. And to your point about time out, one of the things that we really focus on is local events um, in terms of the content side. But in addition to that, being a new technology company, we really see technology as a, a driver for making events more accessible and making the process of finding out what's on quick, easy, and fun. So in launching an iPhone application, which is the Spoonfed Event Radar, we're the first to market to provide events on the move with quality premium content underneath. Um, so that's already quite a big differentiator between us and Time Out. Now, uh, I, from the from the iPhone perspective, that that makes uh, a lot of sense, and you're obviously clearly um, smart to have have got on that particular smartphone <laughs> as quickly as possible and ahead of the competition. 
the site itself though um what what lies beneath it in terms of technology or is it you know a kind of fairly standard database uh, web front end structure so i mean the the core technology behind spoonfed is a publication platform and the uh, and, and one of our primary business objectives is to reduce the cost of getting high quality event data um wherever we can and that's really the purpose of this platform which does two things. Firstly, it aids the aggregation of data direct from event owners. Um, and secondly, it provides our editors with all of the tools that they need in order to be able to polish this um, content and turn it into copyrighted spoon-fed content. Um, and because we're able to do this, we're also able to uh, do things like categorize our, very data, our data very cleanly. So, for example, it means that we have, you know, we, just for live music, we have something like uh, 14 high-level categories and then a whole bunch of tags underneath. And from a user perspective, what this means is that they can actually build themselves quite uh, quite specific entertainment profiles and start getting uh, content filtered according to their preferences, which is really what Spoonfed, to a certain extent, is all about. It's the notion of not having to spend a lot of time searching or finding out what's going on. So the, the the there's a sort of certain amount of in, intelligence in the back end that personalizes the the results for you know for, to your interest or your search. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's two things. The first one is that um, in, on the publication side, it, we can a- aggregate and uh, really delve down into the categorization of the content. And on the user side, it means that they've got this wonderful set of tags and genres that they can pick from in order to personalize their event uh, their event feed or event guide now i you both met in a, a pure maths lecture or something like that is that right that's actually true it's an, an abstract maths class abstract I that's even we, worse than pure or even I think more we amusing. were the, two in the fact that we're the most lost in the class <laughs> are you mathematicians i mean are you geeks pure and simple or or how did how how, how did your interest in the web and and technology come about I was studying economics and Henry was studying environmental economics and at the LSE it's very much um, more towards the mathematical end of economics. Yeah. So we had to take stuff like that in terms of classes. But in terms of being geeky, I think you know we always liked technology, but when we started Spoonfed, our knowledge of the web was very much being a consumer. That's what we understood. It's I use the web for myself. Yeah. Um, and we had you know very little technical knowledge of how the web actually existed or was built. And I think, you know, one of the things that's great in a startup is you learn quick or die fast. Yeah. And um, you make mistakes, you move on, you learn and you, you absorb. And I'd say we're probably a lot more geeky now than we started off. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I'd probably say at the same time, um, you know, we have we have interests outside of, of the web as well. And it's it's something that we've loved doing and learning about. But it's not everything that we've ever done for the last 10 years. Yeah. OK. Now, that's that sounds good. So when you actually sat down and started, presumably you didn't start learning, you know, programming languages. Did, when you came up with the idea, how did you actually go about getting it built? Um, so the first thing we built was the publication platform, and uh, and you know, first port of call was Gumtree actually. Yeah. And we found a couple, of, and we found that a couple of guys on there were willing to do it. We got some help in kind of assessing how you know what how technically able they were. Uh, which is a really important thing for any startup, you know, to be able to go through that process and, and make sure that your team is is going to be able to do the job. Yeah. And uh, and then we raised a bit of seed, well, friends and family round, uh, which which helped pay for that. Yeah. 
So you managed to get you managed to get to kind of launch with friends and family money. So the November two thousand and eight was the launch. Uh, yeah, November two thousand eight was the launch. Um, this is actually quite a bit prior to that because what we started off is with is as we touched on before the being able to produce high quality content at a low cost was our primary goal. So we actually just started off in Camden, Islington private alpha just to see if we could actually do it yeah. um, and the launch in November was London wide uh, and by that stage we'd raised angel investment um, the previous June um, of 400,000 pounds so by then we'd come quite a long way along the road and I think one of the things that we learned early on is you know you throw your student loan at the project to start it then you try and raise a bit more money and as long as you keep showing that you're doing something with that money and getting to the next stage so you build a prototype you build a slightly better prototype with improvements, then you maybe scale it from Camden and Islington to the wider areas of London. You keep getting to the next stage. Yeah. So it doesn't. It didn't happen all overnight. There were lots of mini steps in in the middle um, that you know generally were worked out at the beginning in in my basement while we were uh, kind of pre-funded and just figuring things out and how best to map out bringing Spoonfed to market. Yeah. Now last June was probably a a good time to be uh, looking for funding <laughs> a few months later yeah. it might have been a little bit more difficult um, how did you find yeah. that process who did you who did you go to to find an angel that you thought would you could work with and, and who would fund you um, so uh, people who have really helped us along the way are our advisors and our board uh, and you know we met them through network going to networking events going to tech events using our current network as much as we possibly could, kind of just staying busy every single night of the week through trying to meet people in the industry. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Kevin, our chairman, has been a huge help on that front. He's done a lot of introductions for us that have helped to take us, to help get us to the next level. And in addition, you know, people like our, uh, our tech advisor, Terry Parsons, has also helped in, on that level as well. I think just from from my point of view, I think the the main... The main thing that I've learned from this process is you've just got to ask anyone and everyone that you meet and talk to them. It improves your pitching. It makes you refine your business model because everyone has a different point of view about what's good and bad about what you're doing. Yeah. And you may go and meet someone who can't help you, but at the end of the meeting, he says, you know what? I know exactly who you need to talk to about this. And I can count at least 20 examples where that's ended up being useful either for investment or for future contacts or for biz dev in the future. So I think it's just about having a willingness to go out there and pitch and meet and talk and learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think also in this space, there's very much a feeling of what goes around comes around. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're willing to put in effort to help other people, by and large, other people are willing to put in effort and help you. Have you found the, the you know, the stress or the pressure of having a board and having investors all of a sudden as opposed to you know basically doing it in your sort of your cellar basement as it were how have you how have you found that has that been uh, an easy challenge i mean ha what about you know communicating with with the board communicating with investors i think i think there are two there are two questions in there and the first one is when choosing your board choose them as wisely as you possibly can because one of the things that's really obvious is that you're going to need their time and you know, they're not paid. They're doing it because A, they, you know, obviously have a mentoring part to their character, um, but also because they believe in your vision. But in the end, they also probably have a day job. Kevin, yeah. our chairman, is currently managing director over at LinkedIn. 
he's a busy man. And so you, you need to pick someone that you know is going to be there for you in the good times and the bad. And I think choosing your advisors and being honest about what your expectations are from them is absolutely key so that you have a happy relationship. Um, in terms of, of investor communications, I think you learn by having a good board what is required. Um, and, and I think actually, you know, one thing that's, that's, that I've certainly found a learning process is, you know, managing people's expectations is definitely something that for any other startup that's just sort of starting out is, you know, set your expectations not too low, but set them reasonably. Because yeah. if you keep hitting reasonable expectations, people are reasonably happy with you and you feel a, and your team feels a degree of success. And I think lastly, in terms of, you know, stress levels, you know, you if you're going to make your startup work, you live and breathe it. Everything you do is about it. It's, it's to an extent your baby. And I think from my point of view, having a business partner that is a friend as well, that you can kind of share it. You don't, it's not a burden you carry on your own. Yeah. So when things are difficult, you can share that. And when things are good, you can, you know, have a beer and say, you know, this was a great month. Yeah. And I think having that, that shared experience makes the stress levels a lot easier to manage. How do you cope when you two disagree, you, you, you two founders? Or maybe you don't disagree. Uh, to be honest, actually, it really doesn't happen that much. And, and we very much so look at things in the same light. And, and when it has happened, um, you've just got to kind of walk out of the office, go and I think the first thing you've got to do is just have talk to each other about it and, uh, and then try and find a resolution um, and be able to move on as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. And I think from my point to add, to that, I think that um, a disagreement is a disagreement for a good reason. You learn from what, you know, Henry's my best sounding board, and if he disagrees with something, there's probably a good reason for it, and, and I hope vice versa, and I think what you end up coming to is a consensus, because in the end, if you're building a product, you're not building it for yourself, you're building it for a wider audience, so disagreement is probably not a bad thing in the decision-making process. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a, good, uh, a good perspective. Now, you have achieved a kind of uh, the kind of 100,000 unique users milestone relatively rapidly bearing in mind uh, you launched the full site uh, just at the end of last year how I mean I'm sure there are lots of people who have launched sites launched web projects and think wow that's fast I wish I had that many users how how did that happen how how did you plan for that how did you um, build that kind of momentum I mean, I think really uh, the first thing to do is to do as much competitor analysis as you can on the market and work out how many um, unique users there are actually available to you, uh, because that's going to be the first soundboard of you know is this is this viable and how many and what are realistic expectations uh, for, to get to, for your for your user growth um, and really the, the thing that we've focused on. Um, because we have so much great unique content that is being churned out the whole time by our editorial team, I and mean, we cover 30,000 events a month in London, uh, is that we, we really focused on just the, the, getting the search engine optimization of our site right, getting the on-site architecture, and, and, uh, and that's worked really well, and that's really where we've seen the growth up to this point is through, through organic search. Yeah. Okay, um, and how many, how much content, how many sort of pages are you kind of producing a day or a week? Um, well, as Henry said, in the in the categories that we cover, which are entertainment categories, live music, DJ music, theatre, exhibitions, comedy, and our own category called Beery Fun, which is anything that happens in a pub from karaoke <laughs> to a quiz, um, we produce thirty thousand events per month, which can be searched. Okay, fine, yeah, yeah, 
Now, uh, the million dollar question, where's the money coming from? How, how, what are your you know, specific plans to, to monetize the site? So in terms of the on-site revenue, uh, they're coming from ticket sales and advertising. Uh, but this isn't the core uh, revenue stream of the business. The core revenue stream of the business is called uh, Bullseye. And uh, we've got a few people using it at the moment. It'll be fully launched uh, at the beginning of September. And essentially what this is is a, is, a, is a marketing platform or a toolkit for people who put on events to do all of their digital and mobile marketing. Um, and it's basically a software as a service uh, on a subscription model. Okay. Sounds like a, sounds to me like a different product. Well, I mean, you could say that, but at the same time, it also aligns with the core business uh, objective of SpoonFed, which is to help drive down the cost of uh, producing data, where, uh, producing event content when we go into new cities. Mm. And, uh, of course, giving people access to do their event marketing through Bullseye will encourage them to put their events on that platform first so we can then edit it. So it's really going to help with our data aggregation and also a lot of the features on Bullseye are things like making your events on Spoonfed more, uh, giving them more interactive feel, being able to put music on there, being able to put video and that kind of thing. So it really ties into uh, Spoonfed very nicely. I think also from my point of view, the um, what we built up in order to build up our 30,000 events per month is relationships with promoters across London. Yeah. And it was out of listening to them and their needs, wishes and wants in terms of what is difficult about promoting events and working out a product that they could purchase on a subscription basis that addressed those needs, which strengthens the Spoonfed brand in their eyes. And, um, and it, it's leveraging existing relationships we have. So in terms of the sales process, in terms of ramping up revenue, we're actually reaching out to people that we already have a relationship on a content basis with. Mm, mm. Now, the, whenever you're in a content business, of course, there's the uh, there's the difficult issue of actually creating the content, uh, producing the content, which is probably more more of a challenge in many cases than the technologies um, themselves uh, backing it up. Um, you've got obviously quite a, a clever way of aggregating the content and um, leveraging the, the the contacts with promoters and those promoters and those relationships that you're building, but replicating that outside London as obviously you have ambitions to do isn't that going to be awfully hard work it's not a, it's not pure UGC it's not pure user-generated content isn't it is it so you, there's an ele- a large editorial element there isn't that very kind time consuming and expensive to do well I mean for London which I'd consider probably one of the toughest cities to do in terms of how much in terms of volume is going on um, particularly also on the smaller side of things, you know, small gigs in a small pub in Camden, for example. Yeah. We cover London with five wonderful editors, one for each vertical that we cover. Um, and one of the things that our publication platform does is, yes, you need editorial, but what the system does is it really focuses in an editorial's day on actually writing editorial rather than doing research. So in terms of cost and scaling up, um, We've done the calculations to do the rest of the country, and we'd have to do little more than doubling our current editorial team to do the rest of the UK, possibly even slightly less than that. Oh, really? And in ter- oh, wow. In, in, terms of, in terms of an editor's day, um, and, and I, I know they'd agree with this, is, that, is they, by, by having all the data there already when they start off and having simple workflow systems that try and make the process of publishing event information as smooth and simple as possible, um, and you know, linking into APIs that will help them do that quickly. 
it means that they spend the majority of their time actually writing the editorial about Eric Clapton at the Royal Abbott Hall or a new exhibition of the Tate Modern, rather than having to take time, Google it, look it up, find yeah. the Wikipedia page about the artist. So I agree with you, there is an investment in the editorial, but we think that's actually what makes us different from the plethora of UGC event sites that seem to sort of pop up mm. out of Silicon Valley in sort of 2004, 5, 6. How long is this all going to take? <laughs> where, where are you in your business plan? Um, I mean, obviously, the, after the UK, you know, abroad or where? I mean, we've, we've got a, uh, we've got kind of a, we want to expand to the rest of the UK kind of in, in the first two quarters or, or to certainly the bigger cities in the UK in, in the first two quarters of 2010. And then after that, scale throughout the UK in 2010. Um, but really, a three-year plan, we'd like to be in as many pan-European uh, capitals and uh, vibrant cities and, and US cities as possible, because Spoonfed really works well when there is. A, uh, a, 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 a when there is a vibrant metropolis where, where where there are a lot of events going on. Cool. Well, last and lastly, and this is a question I really should have asked at the beginning, uh, but it has intrigued me. Uh, or spoon-fed the name. How does that? How did that come about? Who thought of that? Um, well, I guess it's Alex here. I guess what uh, um, I remember the day very clearly. I was on a train going <laughs> somewhere in the countryside, and uh, Henry rang me up and said. And, about Spoonfed, and because we've been talking about how we wanted it to be so easy for people to find out what's on, and it was like, yep, that sounds great, and I said, yeah, but I doubt the domain will be available, and for some reason, it seems like most domains are bought up these days, yeah. but Spoonfed.co.uk was available for the grand price of £8.99, <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> That's excellent. Cool. Well, thanks very much, both of you, Alex and, uh, and Henry. Thanks, Thank you very much, Alex. So there we are, two extremely bright guys there and uh, doing a great job on Spoonfed. And I think uh, even the most seasoned entrepreneurs could learn a thing or two from uh, Alex and Henry there. So thanks to them and good luck with everything at Spoonfed. And now, uh, just before some music, don't forget, if you want your free audiobook, head over to smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of the Audible banners. Um, sign up to a free 14-day trial and get a free audiobook of anything you like, business or uh, a nice relaxing trashy novel if you want. Okay, uh, that's all cool. And now for a classic piece of techno from one of the masters of the trade, uh, Todd Terry. And this is a track called Samba. <laughs> 